Welcome to the Security Serengeti, where your hosts, David Schwinninger and Matthew Keener. Stop what you're doing, subscribe to our podcast, leave us a lovely five-star review, and follow us at Serengeti Sec on Twitter so you can see my lovely mid-journey created art. Yeah, and your future tattoo. Future tattoo. So we're here to talk more about cybersecurity, and each episode will focus on a topic of or two of specific interest to the community. And today we're talking about the inaugural Cisco Talos 2022 Year in Review. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are ours and ours alone and do not reflect the views or opinions of our employers. So to summarize this report, the Talos 2022 Year in Review, it happened. It, it used a lot more words than that, though. A lot more words. All right. So we have a link to the year in review 2022 report. If you want to look at it, this is the first year Talos has released a report like this. So let's keep our expectations moderate. They've got some room to grow and maybe they will take this as a, as a learning experience. You were so polite. Uh, so in the, in the introduction of the report, they uh, state that the way they came about this report was they wanted to provide insight from dozens of subject matter experts all over Cisco, including reverse engineers detection specialists, data scientists, linguists, managed hunt providers, incident responders, and threat intelligence analysts. And they posed three questions to these groups and, and generated the report based on the responses to these three questions. The first one is, what were the major security events Cisco responded to in 2022? And what is their current status and impact? Second question was, what are the major trends in the threat landscape and what do we think may change? And the final question was, what are the top threats we observed in 2022 and what are their current state? So item number one, first and top of the report, Ukraine. So apparently Cisco is supporting Ukraine to the tune of monitoring 30,000 endpoints. They said they have 650 employees monitoring open source, although they just said open source. I assume that's threat intel. You mean reading the news? <laughs> you know, when I do it, my boss gets upset and he's like, "You, we pay you for a job and it's not open source. <laughs> so I am collecting, collecting intelligence here. Although I don't know if these are devoted just to Ukraine or if this is how many employees they have monitoring open source for the whole company for everything. I don't know. But they did also mention 45 threat hunters, which I have the same question for. So my first thought was, should they be publicizing all their support for Ukraine as it would probably make them a target for Russia? But then I thought, you know, they probably already are. So no biggie. Yeah. I mean, a company as big as Cisco is they're already up to their neck in their associated with the U.S. government. So I'm sure they're already on Russia's radar as far as wanting to get into Cisco's knickers if they if they so desire. But it's based based on statements that they made in the report also indicates their their bias towards the the entire situation that's going on over there that, that indicates they are in lockstep with the U US government's opinion on it to quote the article 2014 Russia invades Ukraine taking Crimea penin taking Crimea the Crimean peninsula and the Donbas region which is not Correct. Russia did not take the Donbass region in 2014. The Donbass region has been involved in a civil war with the Ukrainian government since 2014, backed by Russia, but Russia never took the Donbass. As a matter of fact, they held a plebiscite in the Donbass asking to join Russia, and Putin said, no, That's weird. you're not coming in. Nobody uh, wants them. Well, Russia wants them now, I mean, because they've <laughs> annexed them now. But at the time, I think it was in 2015 or 2017, I forget the date exactly. But at the time, 
Russia was like, no, this is, that's too, it's not politically feasible at this time. They didn't really give a, a real justification for it, but there are different political commentators that have said, you know, that the, the juice was not worth the squeeze at the time. So they turned them down. Hmm. So, and I have a couple quotes from here that I found interesting. First one is in the weeks and months leading up to Russia's February invasion of Ukraine, Cisco Talos quickly spun up a vast effort to support our Ukrainian friends and partners in the weeks and months leading up to. Oh, wow, that's in there twice. That's weird. So Cisco Talos quickly spun up a vast effort to support our Ukrainian friends and partners. As part of that they had to say friends. <laughs> I was the I I was debating whether Weird. to make a comment on that now. Like, generally speaking, most companies don't spin up for friends. They spin up for paychecks. Paychecks ah. and nepotism. Uh-oh. And the second quote is, as part of this work, we developed an internal Ukrainian task, I'm sorry, internal Ukraine task unit that has become a prototype for how we can respond to future global events that are likely to have ongoing significant cyber implications. So my first thought is, is this going to be, or is this already a service provided by cybersecurity, like MSSPs and providers to countries at war? Is this, you know, part of your, your Mandian or your IR retainer if your country goes to war? Yeah. I was wondering, you know, who's going to pay for this? You know, are they spinning this up in support of companies within a region? So those companies would pay for it, or they could subscribe to a service or is the U S or the foreign government paying for it? Is Cisco writing this whole thing off as charity? And is this going to show up how much money they spend on these kind of units going to show up in their financial reports as being part of their charity efforts? Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, being able to declare it out of your taxes or something or calling it charity work. I just assume their cyber insurance is paying for it. What, Cisco's cyber insurance? Are you talking about the, the, the companies, companies, the Ukrainian the company, companies? Ukrainian companies, acts of war. No. Oh, you're right. That. That is an interesting point, though. Yeah, they spun up and created this whole big effort. Someone's got to pay for that. Well, of course. Actually, now that I think about it, the Ukraine could spin it the other way and say, this is not a war. It's a, a special action. military operation. <laughs> so you should you should pay for this. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, but, you're right. It, it may be down to how the government calls it. Like, this one's pretty obviously a war. But in smaller scale actions, if the government doesn't declare it a war, Will the insurance company pay out or will they declare it a war separately? Well, if you go back to the Lloyds of London annexes that we went through several months ago. Like I remember stuff from that far away. I'm, it's just barely grasping at the edges for me. But <laughs> Lloyd said they are the ones that decide oh, interesting. if it's an act of war or not. So it's the insurance company that would decide whether they were going to pay out or not or whether the, the activity that was taking place was an act of war. That's very convenient for them. It is quite handy. <laughs> So I was actually also wondering if this is kind of the equivalent of civilian contractors going forward. The The military has been relying more and more on civilian contractors. I worked as a civilian contractor back in, I don't know, a while ago, but we weren't doing military actions. We were in the supply line. But again, in cyber, you're not in the direct line of fire. It seems like a perfectly, perfectly legal way to have civilians take some of the load off the military. So you were handing out the bullets? The uniforms specifically. So that being said, I do think that this section, there's probably lots of useful information in here for any company who has a office or a branch in a country that may be involved in a war or a special police action in the future. So I, yeah, think I wonder how Cisco's going to decide what they do, because there, obviously there are conflicts taking place all over the planet all the time. You know, which ones they decide to dip their toe in. It would seem it, like 
are they going to just have this spun up in case a country reaches out to them and then they divert resources or I don't know, this whole thing seems kind of weird to me that the idea that a private company would decide that there's some global uh, thing going on. So they're going to divert corporate resources towards doing that. Because quite frankly, the reason I mentioned the financial statement is like the financial statement is going to say, hey, shareholders, we have decided to take this equity in the co a company away from you and divert it towards doing this thing rather than give you a dividend or ensure the equity stays within the company. So we're burning that. So that's why I was curious about how it would come out in the financial reports if they're writing this off as charity and someone's not actually paying for it. Because really, in the end, the shareholders are paying for this. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think part of it's going to depend on how involved the country is in the modern economy. Because I'm looking right now, there's a daily infographic has 27 ongoing conflicts around the world today. And the vast majority of them are in Africa and the Middle East and Southern Asia with, with two over in the, the North or South America. Yeah. But so like, they're probably just going to base it on the political whims of the United States government then. <laughs> was, Whatever the was U.S. government thinks that. is important. I was, that was a, I think it's going to depend on the countries that are there. Are these countries are, are these countries that are already clients of Cisco? Is there a significant technological or industrial or manufacturing base that can pay Cisco for it? I mean, I think there's definitely a reason why, for example, they are not in the Kurdish-Turkish conflict. Uh, there's no there's no significant pain segment of companies that are involved in that. Uh, I would I'm more cynical than that. I think it's more <laughs> more cynical than whoever pays. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's it because it, if it's not in the news, is if it's not something that they can justify because there's political support for it, then they're not going to get behind it. All right. Well, there's also now, there's, there's an old. Good. I say there's 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 no you can call it an old joke or an old saying I guess that the only friends of the Kurds are the mountains. Yeah, that's fair. There's another option here that actually may be related, which is the punctuated evolution of cyber warfare generally speaking um so but the idea of punctuated evolution is that evolution proceeds at a normal pace for a period of time and then there's periods where there's explosive evolution and in terms of cyber warfare i would have to think that that punctuated evolution is now in the middle of a war people russians and ukrainians have been developing techniques and technology for you know years and now they're finally releasing them and using them in action so, I, mean, I haven't really seen in this conflict, though, any evolution from a cyber perspective that's any significantly better or different than what we've seen in the past, though, unless there's something I'm forgetting. Well, yeah, this one has been. I, I'm just thinking from a from like Cisco's perspective, this is probably mm -hmm. something where you want to be involved because this is giving you all kinds of research material. So it's an excuse to do something neat is what you're saying. It's an excuse to continue developing their products and, you know, make more money in the future. Because that's where my cynicism always goes. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> they we just keep moving. They call out that there's a multitude of actors with varying skill levels. So kind of in my mind, I have them separated out as the state actors or hopefully the high skill level. Then there's militia slash regulars. I, I don't know what a cyber militia looks like. And the opportunistic criminals that are at the moderate skill level. And then there's just the patriots and the Russian script kitties that are like, we're going to 
all join in on the, you know, Laura, but I and Canon on this Ukrainian website, which I know that's not a real thing anymore, but that's just my mental model here, which is actually kind of interesting though. I have to wonder, especially so Patriots. So like real Patriots tend to volunteer for the military, but there's probably a number of people that are, you know, vaguely patriotic. And when you can, you know, participate in the war from a distance, how many people do you think would that, you know, like your government's not going to prosecute you for trying to steal money from people in Ukraine if you're in Russia right now. Right. And it could be an opportunity for the Patriots and script kiddies to get some easy skills because there's no repercussion or downside for them doing whatever it is they're going to do. Yeah. Gain some skills. You might make some money. You can claim that you helped the war effort. Yeah. Be interesting. They listed their most active behavioral protection rules. They've seen fire. And I hate this chart. I think this chart is awful. It's awful for two reasons. Number one, it says it doesn't have any numbers. It just has bars. And a lot of their stuff in here doesn't have bars, which makes me think the number of IR activities they participated in is very low because why else wouldn't you include the numbers? But the top, oh, and it also doesn't say which ones were true positive. It just said which rules fired the most. That's, yeah. That's, so you don't get a full scale because yeah. the, so the PowerShell could be five and the lowest one could be information one. Information stealing <laughs> could be one. Yeah. I mean, it's like, probably not, it's, yeah. It, but, but yeah, it's, it's, these could be very low numbers. The only thing that I really wanted to point out here is that PowerShell invoke expressions, number one on this list, and it's number one on another list later. So really the, the actionable thing for me here is that PowerShell is tops and that's something you should be watching quite a bit. Right. And that's not a big surprise either. <laughs> I know. Right. Then they have another chart, which is the total number of behavioral protection alerts across Ukrainian customers. And they've got it separated out by month. And again, they have no numbers here, so it's hard to tell, but it does look like the alert numbers have gone up massively for Ukrainian customers. Like I'm just eyeballing this because it does at least like one, two, three, four. It looks like it's gone up like 20 times. So I don't know. They also- uh, Mostly kicking off in August, it looks like. May? No, you scroll down. I'm on page 11 now. You're getting too far ahead of me. Sorry. It really kicked off in June. Like it spiked a little bit okay. March, April, May, and then June, it, June, July, August, September, it really kicked off. And yeah, they don't have in here, like when did they introduce new rules or anything like that? So. Oh, right. Cause it could have been, they simply weren't looking for that before. Yeah. Yeah. As they detected new stuff. They also said run 32, run DLL 32 related sections are on the rise, both in Ukraine and across other customers. I mean, this is just, you shouldn't be monitoring this already. And if you're not start and they, here's, here's their final quote. We assess that the threat to Ukrainian and allied government and private sector entities will remain high throughout the duration of the war. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah, I, going out oof. on a limb. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, the second item was Log4j, which they said was one of their top infection vectors, but only in Q1 tied with phishing. They did say later it's still being exploited at a high rate, just not in the top five or 10 or whatever they have listed. Less than a month after disclosure, they saw mass indiscriminate exploitation events against VMware Horizon servers that were vulnerable, and the payloads varied from miners, malware, versus shells, recon, indica- indicative of just a large number of people taking advantage of this. And that section was pretty boring and disappointing, given that Log4j happened. And hopefully everybody's patched it by now. I, there wasn't really much actionable in here. Yeah, I think the fact that, that it only happened in Q1, which is actually right after it was discovered. If you re- recall, it was discovered in December of the previous year. So it was really just at the front end of Log4j. And I think it's kind of disingenuous to focus such a large, a major section of the report just on this one thing, which only accounted for one quarter of the actual stuff that was going on that year. It wasn't like a trend for the whole year. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, Log4j was pretty big, but yeah, this does feel a lot like filler. And given this whole thing 65 pages, I feel like this report could have been done in about 13 pages. But anyways, all right. So then they break it off. The next parts are kind of their trend section, and they've got a bunch of them, and we're going to blow through these because I got pizza in the oven. <laughs> you don't want to burn the house down. So first of all, dual use to tools, tool use tools are still a problem. I'm not sure this needs to be called out. They're still talking about Cobalt Strike. We've been talking about Cobalt Strike forever, and we've moved on to other ones because Cobalt Strike's really dropping at this point in time. They said they saw a steady rise in detections for the name piped usage, and there was a spike in network detections in June. Like that one was actually kind of weird because if you look at that chart, which is on page, well, I don't know what page it was. Oh, sorry. If you look on page 19, there's actually a huge spike in June, and then it's just flat for the rest of the year. That one's weird. That one seems like a new rule, but... Yeah, because uh, actually on the chart, they reference a particular sort of sort society. Yeah. So probably could Google that and get the dates on its introduction. If only I was not lazy. But they do mention that due to the attention, attackers are moving to Sliver and Brute Retail. But again, this has been mentioned in so many reports. This adds nothing new. Although... I mean, maybe that's the thing is maybe they're assuming that this is the only report you're reading. And therefore, they have to mention everything. I don't know. They do talk about how living off the land binaries is still a problem. The top two behavioral detections there are PowerShell. They mentioned that USB attacks are on the rise again, which hmm. blows my mind. Seems weird. I, yeah, I don't. And the reason I think it seems weird is a lot of organizations are seriously locking down their USBs now. So you'd think that that would indicate that this is getting harder to implement those kinds of attacks. Huh? I don't know. Maybe. I couldn't tell you. Next, they talk about the ransomware threat landscape. They currently track 12 ransomware as a service groups. I have no idea how many there are, but they actually mentioned 19, so they know of at least seven more. They said that ransomware was 21% of their IR activities, which means that the that their IR, I guess we could probably figure out what the minimum number of their IR activities was. Like it's, if it's 21%, it can't be five. Maybe they had 100 IR activities. I'm, I'm curious about this because some of the charts show very weird levels on the chart that strongly imply that they have a very low number of IR activities, specifically the chart on page 30. So if you look at that, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Talk about it right now. The, well, in a second. The highest ransomware, ransomware was highest in Q1 and lowest in Q2. And they hypothesized that this is related to adversaries focusing on Ukraine, which is interesting, but not provable. The most targeted sector by quite a bit was education, followed by local municipality governments, and then followed by all others. So this is another one of those charts where there are no numbers. It's on page 30, figure 22. And they look like multiples. So financial services, energy, et cetera. It looks like if you double the size of that column, you have local municipality government. And then if you add another one on top, you've got education. So like a three to one for education, a two to one for local municipality government. Mm -hmm. That implies low IR numbers to me. Because how else would you have, would you have exactly 10 financial services, energy, holding company, healthcare, telecom, and IT groups all come to you for well, IR? Unless they're, unless they're bracketing these to say... But still, Between that's 75 so and 100 IR events. But then they should uh, say that education. Yeah, I could actually see doing that. Even even if you have low numbers, like bracket, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think that they have very low engagement for their IR practice, and they're trying to hide it. So I think yeah. they had 1, well, they 2, don't really... 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I think they had 12 IR engagements for ransomware. 
but they don't really tell their IR stuff very much, you know, whether they have an Maybe. IR retainer yeah. or anything like that. Virtually everywhere I've ever been has been a major majority Cisco shop. And I don't remember having any conversation with Cisco reps for them pushing us to, or even introducing us to their IR retainer capability. Oh, or that's facility. why they don't, that's why they're not getting very many on here. So apparently the LockBit 3.0 builder was leaked, which is leading to new ransomware groups forming as they are picking it up and using it for their own attacks. So maybe they can customize it with ChatGPT. <laughs> maybe. Another change is hackers are now building cross-platform ransomware using languages like Go and Rust that can run on multiple platforms. I mean, this is just Java again, right? Now that Java's dead. Right. Anything cross-platform. Yeah. And the thing that I find interesting is... They're really focused on the groups. Like most of this, and there's another section on APT later where they spend a lot of time talking about the various groups. These groups don't matter to the average company. And I mean, unless it's to, to help your CISO, like we were targeted by Conti. They're a major ransomware as a service group. We need more, whatever. I don't know. I don't understand why all these certain Intel folks are so focused on these groups. It gives them something to focus on. That's fair. That's fair. I would rather they focused on rules. I wish that after each group, they would give you a list of Sigma coded rules that you could enter into your SIM. And then that would help if it started alerting and telling me Conti was found, Conti was found and exactly how that would be way more useful to me. But anyways. Well, the thing is the, the, the group names are less important than the TTPs. You know, if they were to come out and say, here are the top four TTPs. Yep. That would be much more useful than saying these are the top top four ATPs. Well, hold on. So they do give you the behavioral indicator rules that fired, but again, going back, they give you the rules that fired, not the rules that caught the bad guys. Like, I would love that. I would love, here are the top five alerts that led to IR activities. Like, these are the, these are the real deal. These are the rules that actually caught them. That would be right. amazing. Yeah. Well, the thing is, they probably can't point to that because most of the IR activities are probably kicked off by some other notification yeah. method that detected yeah. that this was external going on. parties or something. And then they retroactively went back and looked, said, "Oh, well, these events seem to be related." But that to would what still be useful happening. because then you could be like, "That's what, and we didn't look at them, and we should have." That's a good <laughs> but, point. Anyways, all right. So next section is on commodity, the commercial second stage items such as Quackbot, Emotet, Ice and Trickbot. The, the one interesting thing that they pointed out here is that the big thing this year is to be delivered via ISO and zip files to deliver links. And ISO, really? Yeah. Apparently, this is because Microsoft disabled macros. And so, therefore... Yeah, by default now. Yeah, by default. So, they had to move to something else. So, Microsoft did something and it affected the bad guys, but they moved on. So, out of those four that are specifically mentioned, I found it kind of weird. The most recent of those four was apparently deployed in 2017. So, it's been five years since there's been a new commodity second stage, which I find interesting. Hmm. Yeah. That's a long time. That is quite a while. Notable changes starting in March 2022. Quackbot started using external thread hijacking, which is basically you break into an account you find the ongoing conversations and then you send a reply to all the people in the conversations with a link to malware and say, hey, check this out or hey, this is related to the conversation, which is weird to me because that seems like that's super noticeable that like as soon as you got, as soon as one person noticed that they were broken into and if they tracked it back, they'd be like, hey, dude, you're compromised. 
Uh, although apparently to dodge that, they had saved some of the conversations for months and then replied to old conversations. And again, typically shot an ISO file with a link shortcut because the ISO files, when you click on them, they're automatically mounted by Windows. But that seems like that's an easy fix too. just stop automatically mounting ISO files. Well, Emotet moving away from PowerShell and Word again because of the macro thing. They're moving towards link files and the use of curl and reg server 32, which is hmm, also interesting. It's another one that you should already be watching, so there's nothing really new here. Curl as well. Curl's not something that's typically used by non-IT folks. TrickBot may or may not be active. Active. It's supposedly dormant, but they're still seeing activity on the botnet. The initial thought is it might be existing infected systems still dialing in. I can't believe they didn't turn off the lights when they left. These are incredibly irresponsible criminals. Uh, but it was, <laughs> it was suggested it might be other criminals hijacking the botnet. Again, no, no. Can't believe that they would do that. Yeah. And the final the section. honor among thieves. honor among thieves. And the final section was APTs, and they just dive into each APT in detail. I, I find this so, I find useless. this so not, yeah, not useful. What I would rather have is, again, I'd rather have a list of how to detect each APT, a list of TTPs. They do. So they mention, they'll say something on the left-hand side here, like I'm looking at on page 52 actor profile gameradon and it says notable ttps social engineering techniques spear phishing compromised domains and dynamic dns that's not helpful at all what are you talking about that's so specific yeah like give me like an attack matrix so you know if you see an attack that hits all these like then it's gameradon i can i can kind of see that as being sort of useful when you tell your boss who's hitting you because they always want to know did they at least tie them to sectors so these guys primarily focus on education. Yeah, they did They did okay. have a victimology. So Gamaradon actively targets Ukrainian entities, specifically government organizations. So they do They do have some information on who it targets. But Let again, me guess, not... most of them are Ukraine. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't go through. And they included some sort of nonsense stuff. Like they included the link file names for some of these links, which can change incredibly easily. So that's not... No hashes. Yeah, that could change incredibly easy too. I'm not so worried about that but well actually is... mo you would you would assume most of the stuff anyhow was probably released via a threat intel feed from talos yeah hopefully so there is there is something actually down here for a muddy water campaign down on page 55 where it does describe some of the interesting more interesting stuff like it used they use ConnectWise remote client like that's a good that's a that's an actionable piece of thing if you do not use ConnectWise in your environment that would be something that you may want to alert on right so, but it's kind of buried on page 55 and it's not specifically called out as here's something to look for. Nah. So anyways, I didn't really learn anything new from this report that's going to change how I perform my work duties. I don't think that this report was really for technical folks. I think this is for management. Yeah, but to what end? I, I don't know. The thing is, you know, it, maybe it's because, you know, we're, we think it in more technical terms than that. But if you're going to take the, spend the time to consume something like this, you would expect to get something of value out of it versus just a bunch of anecdotes. Yeah. You know, it's anecdotal information that's not actionable by anyone in management or, or technically. Because really, <laughs> there's nothing even here for management to latch on to say, oh, well, we should shift our focus for securing our, our organization to this because of this reason. So there are only really two interesting takeaways for me. The first one was, it was interesting to me. I hadn't, I'm not doing IR on a daily basis anymore. So I was interested to see that attackers are moving away from macros towards ISO and link files. So that was kind of cool. 
And I thought that the Ukraine war did lead to some interesting conversation about private entities, private security companies, and working in a work on a war zone, which was kind of interesting. Oh, that's a, that's an interesting thought I hadn't considered yet. You know how you have PMCs, private military contractors, mm-hmm. or private military companies. Now you have cyber PMCs. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, you are. And, and I wonder if that's going to turn into a if that's going to turn into like separate companies or if it's going to be separate arms because it's a lot more respectable to do that than to be a PMC. Yeah, they could have a wholly owned subsidiary. Mm. I mean, they probably already exist. We just haven't heard of them. Hasn't made the news yet. Right. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Security Serengeti podcast and follow us on Twitter at SerengetiSec and subscribe and listen on your favorite podcast app for more scintillating report reviews. 